If any of the issues raised in this episode have affected you, you can find free support and advice at stonewall.org.uk. Young Voices, Big Issues. Join us as we explore the real power of Youth Rising. Youth Rising. Youth Rising. The Youth Rising podcast by NCS. Hey, this is Youth Rising by NCS where young people raise their voice to make a positive difference together. We're the podcast for young people, made by young people. And in this series, we're taking a look at the issues that are affecting our generation the most and speaking to inspirational people. Listen back to our previous episodes with Megan Jane Crabb, Florence Given, Lucy Edwards and the team behind Blue Planet 2 as we explore self-confidence, sex education, disability and the environment. The Youth Rising Podcast by NCS. I'm Eleanor Ray and this week we're exploring gender, what this means and the expectations society puts on it. We'll be speaking to YouTubers and LGBT advocates Jamie Rains and Shaba Lotan, plus influencer and activist Hanam Kar. We've been made much more aware of the fluidity and different explorations of gender through open conversations on all media platforms, activism and the growing profiles of LGBTQ plus icons. One of the hardest things in life life. is to be brave enough to be yourself. Welcome Welcome. Welcome. to this mammoth Q&A on bottom surgery. It's taken a, a lot of strength to walk out into the public as a beaded woman and have to daily push back all these nastiness that people throw at me. The US conservative author Candace Owens thinks many men are disappearing. And this is why Harry Styles wore a dress on the cover of American Vogue. I also have a true dream in our future as we evolve as humanity that these award shows will not be male and female but that we include everyone. You heard there Lady Gaga, Susanna Reid on Good Morning Britain, Hanam Carr and Jamie Rains who we'll be hearing from shortly. The Youth Rising Podcast by NCS. In this episode, we're asking how well do we understand gender from the perceived conceptions of gender to how we explore it. In 2022, how do we move forward with accepting and expressing gender outside of existing binaries? Halim spoke to Jamie Rains and Sharba Lotin, YouTubers, couple and childhood best friends about the stages of transition, the dysphoria that can surround it and family support. Jamie and Shabba, thanks so much for coming on to the Youth Rising podcast. Thanks for having us. So did you both meet in college? We did, yeah, when we were 16. We bonded through mutual friends and your mum's broken oven. Yes. We were really good friends for about a year. And then when I I came out as trans to you, Mm -hmm. and it kind of um, reframed the friendship in a way over time. The, The kind of few months following me coming out and like living as... Jamie and everything. I told my family first. I started telling my mum and then I told our friendship group all together. So I invited you over Mm -hmm. 
And I thought I was being really smooth. And I was like, oh, great way to come out is, uh, you, know, oh, yeah. you know LGBT, Shaba? And you're like, yeah, yeah, I know what that is. I know what that is. I said, well, I'm the T. And then you were just like, what? I had no what idea does what that mean? was. Yeah. I was like, um, <laughs> I know it's something to do with like gay people, but what is that? Um, and you explained it. So to explain it. Yeah. But I was just like, hey, this makes so much sense. Like, sure. You, you seem so animated and so happy about it. It's the most confident I think I'd ever seen you seem about something mm-hmm. so i was like sure what, like, what can i do to help i think we were both really worried about how my family would take it just because again being very traditional like we knew that i couldn't really continue being friends with jamie but uh you, you just can't help it you know if you've got like a, a connection with someone i couldn't just stop being friends with you just because you felt you had to do something to be more you you know mm-hmm. so we continued being friends kind of on the sly and then uh just <laughs> things developed it's just like how any other thing would happen isn't it yeah like yeah. we were Our teenagers friendship became something more yeah you got really drunk at halloween party told you told and then you ran me. away from me no <laughs> it's not because i didn't like you it's because we you had such worried. a great friendship i was yeah. worried you know about ruining that because i knew that being in a relationship wasn't easy i had so many questions going on in my mind about what that meant for me you know i'm not saying you there, were there bad. was a lot going on <laughs> so uh, yeah i had to process it a little bit and then we decided not to label it and just sort of like see where things went and 10 years later we're gonna get married so shamba i imagine you must have offered some amount of support to jamie during the transition what was that like for you and also jamie what was that like to have that support so yeah after jamie came out sort of like in the summer and i think you'd started transitioning so the transitioning process there are multiple steps involved right Mm -hmm. You, you came out to people you started socially transitioning and then you started medically transitioning and it was about six months into your transition that we then got together so i was really lucky i guess to see you through that entire process yeah you saw me right from the start as my best friend and then yeah like literally everything because we we got together several months into my social transition but a couple months before Mm. I started testosterone so before I took any medical steps for my transition so Shaba's literally been there the entire way and has been one of like the biggest supporters Shaba was one of the first people to use Jamie as my name and yes we tested your name you were the best with my pronouns and you were just there the whole time and it's just been really lovely to have somebody there as like a support that's very sweet but helene have to say as lovely as jamie's making it sound we do also need to point out it wasn't always like a very fluffy journey sure the transitioning <laughs> process for you um you had so much dysphoria obviously there mm-hmm. were times where you know there were family conflicts friends that didn't want to be friends with yeah you anymore um and you know there, there yeah. were tough moments like that so i think it was real that makes the support more important. I was going to well. say, yeah, real special mm. to see your good moments. And I'm glad that I could be there as a source of support and see you be supported by other loved ones too mm-hmm. during the not so great moments. Because I wouldn't want people walking away being like, oh, yeah, this transition stuff's mm. easy. Sure. Yeah, I hear that. <laughs> and what are some things you have to consider, you know, when beginning your transition and throughout your transition? I guess a lot of people are like, okay, so you come out and you tell everybody you're trans and then you just kind of go on with your life and everything. When seeking like medical aspects of transitioning uh, there's a consideration of the current status of clinics in the UK for actually getting access to hormones and surgery and who do you speak to like I kind of told people I was trans but then I actually had no idea what I was supposed to do with that information myself to 
do what I felt I needed to do in terms of taking testosterone and the surgeries I felt I needed. Because you found um, out from a TV documentary, right? Like it yeah. wasn't like a, oh, and you know, this is a checklist of where you go. Sure. It wasn't like a GP pamphlet. Yeah. Um, I yeah. had to do a lot of the research and discovery myself. There's no kind of, what well, there wasn't 10 years ago, like easily accessible information about what to do if you find out you're trans in the UK specifically. Um, so there were- There's little support online. Yeah, there were the considerations of- Sure. well who do i speak to and which route do i take and then when you find out what you can do you can go through the mm. nhs to transition medically or you can go privately but that costs money and there's just a lot of different elements to take into consideration with that you know when you first get into a relationship there's a part where you're both discovering things about each other yeah. and like how did you navigate that and how did you respect Jamie's boundaries? Discovery is such a great word because it was a discovery process, not just about each other, but also about ourselves. Yeah. Like we were 17. How old are you, Halim? 20. And I'm pretty sure like when I was 20, I still didn't quite know myself. I'm still discovering myself today. Mm. And I think about Shaba and Jamie when we were like 17 and just how little we knew just about the world and our place in it. It was it was a really confusing time. I'm grateful yeah. that I had your support and I think it was very codependent. There was a mutual support there. Yeah, because yeah. alongside you discovering your identity and going through that transition, another big thing that was really happening was almost as a result of that because my family did obviously find out that we were not just friends, but had developed into something more. Um, they were very unhappy about it. There were a lot of cultural and religion conflicts that was just causing so much hostility. In the end, basically, I was I was kicked out. I was disowned and um, not able to see my family for a good five years. Mm -hmm. And Jamie and his family were very kind to take me in um, until I was able to like find my own place and, and move to uni and stuff. Yeah. I think because of that, I feel like maybe I didn't support you as much, no, you <laughs> but did. that we were supporting each other because we were both inspire. going through something, yeah, very different. The consistent thing that I remember being quite tricky to deal with is definitely dysphoria, um, mm. which sounds silly because it seems like it's the biggest thing about being trans, right? That's the whole point. Because remember, you were going through it for yourself too. Like everything yeah. new was well, new for you. When you're experiencing something that's difficult for you to process about yourself, uh, like in terms of dysphoria, when it like flares up or something is triggering, it's, it's almost impossible to explain it cohesively to somebody else sure. and like let them in on that and give them any information about how they can possibly help or what's even happening in your head yeah because it's just like you're so stuck within yourself it's like how do I let somebody else into this so you definitely struggled a bit with it um, took us a while to get to a level where we knew yeah. how to communicate definitely yeah Shabby you said you came from a family who kicked you out for this mm. like what were their beliefs around this and and how did you deal with that there's so much interpretation that goes into how people are religious or cultural. And I think that's where it becomes difficult. There are some incredible organizations out there, right? Full on Muslim organizations mm. that are specifically dedicated to helping people who are both Muslim and LGBT plus. Sure. There are imams out there that will carry out LGBT plus weddings, multi-faith weddings, you know? Being LGBT and being religious doesn't have to be two separate worlds. Mm. 
my family just didn't see it that way. So is your family Muslim, yeah? Yes. The part of my family um, that I was living with at the time is Muslim. Sure. And um, I wasn't even allowed to be friends with boys going into school. So there's <laughs> now um, a, a boy, but also a trans boy and a sure. white trans boy and a white non-religious trans boy. Yeah. I think it was just a... That's not just a friend, but you're yeah. dating. I know. Oh, my gosh. It, 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 it blew I think it blew their minds. Mind yeah. And did they eventually come round? After five years, mm. yes. And throughout that time, it was very one step forward, two steps back. And you'd think there would be a level of hostility towards people who aren't able to accept that. Of course, it would have been incredible to have a family who were like, yeah, sure, you know, I get it. I love you. That's fine, as long as you're happy, go forward. But what I really took solace in was the fact that my mum has always wanted what was best for me. She thought that she was doing what was in my best interest. She just had this lack of understanding and it was just giving her the time and the space that she needed to develop that understanding and be be open to hearing yeah. it. That was yeah. it, it was about being open to the idea of being like, okay, cool. Yeah. But a journey yeah. of family acceptance is not a linear one at all. For anyone mm. else going through something similar, like it is so normal for things to feel like they're progressing and then to feel like you're even worse than where you started. There's a lot of that one step forward, two steps mm -hmm. back. It sounds like now your families are a lot more open about it and they've come to more of, of a place of peace. So you guys could have quite easily just rode off into the sunset and <laughs> you know done what you wanted to do. But you didn't do that you know at least you guys started talking about your experiences online why didn't you just go off and, and ride <laughs> off into the sunset why is it so important for you to share this with people online part of the reason why like there even is a youtube channel where we can share this stuff mm -hmm. is because i first started off wanting to document my transition and also see if i could just help one or two other people in the UK because I was speaking about it from that perspective and trying to give help. And it just kind of developed. And we did a Q&A together about our relationship because it's something that people kind of needed advice on or needed to feel represented in because they didn't see anybody else out there that was like them. And it really helped people a lot. So we carried on doing things together on yeah. YouTube. And Then you look at the comments and the comments are like, oh, whoa this is so cool, oh, oh, whoa, this is so helpful. And it's so nice as well when you see those comments, not just from people who are also struggling with their own gender identity, but also from other people. That That's the power to me personally as well, to be like, oh, like I know of someone who's going through a transitioning process and I didn't get it, but now I do. Mm -hmm. Like to me, that just makes me think that if those kind of resources were around when my family were struggling, perhaps they would have like been able to accept it and know it sooner. Because at the time that you were online and then we were online, there was n literally no one in the UK um, yeah. talking about it. There were a couple people in the US, but the system's really different over there. So I guess we kind of felt like we had an onus to share, a duty to share, because it would help so many other people. And we were also gaining some help from that too. Mm. When I was really struggling with my family situation, Jamie was just like, you know what makes me feel better? We could make a video. You don't have to post it. Let's just have a chat about some questions and talk it through. And when we did post it, I just realized how many people were in a similar boat with this whole cultural LGBT confusion. And it, sure, does help other people to be online, but it also helps us to know that mm -hmm. we're not alone and develop this community of like-minded individuals who are just trying to like 
have fun and be happy mm. and be themselves, you know? Have you experienced any negativity on social media? If it's an online <laughs> comment, it's fine to deal with and we just tough. ignore it. But then if it, yeah, sometimes it gets a bit deeper than that and it can just kind of take you back a moment, but it's all still worth it for the positive outcomes with yeah. helping other people and, and seeing others. Then you get that one email from a grandma that's like, hey, I used <laughs> to not understand it and I was really horrible to my son who happens to be trans, um, but now I accept him. So thank you for putting your content out there. And mm -hmm. that just lifts your spirits, makes your heart pop and you know, really brings you back to remembering why you do what you do. And what advice would you give to someone like that grandma or like the friend or the brother or the mum or the dad of someone who is transitioning? Like how can we support people who are transitioning? I think one of the hardest things is people who aren't trans don't understand what it feels like. And it can be very difficult to know how to help or to sympathize with people or know how to talk to somebody when you don't know how they're feeling at all. And trans people, like advice I would give as well is if that trans person is not being very communicative there's a reason for that and they're obviously really struggling and it's about kind of being there but without like pressuring them to explain it to you it's not their job to help you understand if they are in a difficult place with it themselves so a kind of analogy that i heard somebody else say and i, I really like is to help people understand what it feels like to be trans is like imagine you have a, a pair of shoes on and they fit you can wear the shoes you're walking around to everybody else you're wearing shoes and that's fine what's the problem with your shoes but to you there's just always been something wrong with those shoes and you don't know and then suddenly one day you either figure out or somebody points out to you you make you're made aware that you have two left shoes on instead of a left and a right and that's what explains this just niggling discomfort and just something is not right it works it, it looks like it should be fine. But it's not right. It's and just uncomfortable. So then you can swap that left shoe on your right foot for a right shoe. And suddenly it's like everything is good. <laughs> and you have like this correct setup and that niggling discomfort. You figured it out. Certainly for me personally, the transitioning process has been switching that shoe over. And I'm not, it is a bit of a deeper discomfort than if you had shoes on the wrong mm. feet being trans. But it just kind of helps conceptualize the whole like underlying discomfort that is solvable but we just need to help people realize and know what they have to do yeah. i just really love it if every loved one out there of a trans individual would understand that being trans isn't a choice it's not something that someone chooses to do it's something that you felt you absolutely had to do mm -hmm. to be who you are and when someone's going through something that they feel they need to do oh, what can we do but support them you know Wow, you, you just blew my mind with that analogy. <laughs> you guys have been absolutely incredible. Thank you. Thank you. You've been great too, Aleem. Thank you. The Youth Rising Podcast by NCS. We spoke to contributing editor Paige about identifying as non-binary and their experiences with being labelled. I journey into accepting myself as non-binary and coming out as non-binary has been a long one it first started probably when i was little i was born as a female and when everyone was playing and playing dress up and stuff i would get dresses but i would also get other things like bobby build outfits that type of thing who would typically be recommended as a male outfit and i would try both on or neither and I never really fit into the expectations as being a female child so it probably started there and then 
in my teenage years, I found out what non-binary was and then really started to accept it as myself and come into it and realise that's who I am. I think there's a lot of expectations around females when they're growing up, how they should act. For example, as I was saying, playing with dolls when you're a little child, you're supposed to play with dolls and little babies and prams and that type of thing. And that's kind of like an expectation of you. I feel like that's really, really impactful, especially as you're growing up, because then you feel like you have to like that thing. And that makes you put on a persona. And that makes you try and fit in with how you feel like you should be. And you're never truly yourself until you realise that's completely wrong and you can just abandon it. And you can like what you like. You can be what you want to be. It doesn't matter what's expected of you. If that's what you like, then like that. If that's how you feel, then feel like that. It shouldn't be expected of you to do anything, feel anything or be anything. Just be yourself. I like having they, them pronouns because it feels very open, liberating. It feels like I can be anyone I want to be. I'm not stuck in the confines of she or he and I don't have to accept that. And people will call me they and they won't be able to tell what gender I am. And I like that because I don't feel like any gender. So the fact that people can't tell what gender I am, it makes me feel liberated and proud. Advice-wise, I would tell people that there is no norm or there shouldn't be because at the end of the day, everyone is their own person and I'm willing to bet that there's a lot, lot more people out there who feel like they're different or don't fit in that that's probably the norm because more people feel like that they just don't come open and speak about it so you're not alone I recommend you do research online, social medias, there's so much out there and you'll find who you are, who you feel like and why you feel different in quotation marks because I don't think you're different, I just think you're you. Ella spoke to life coach, model and activist Hanam Kar about body hair, society's pressure around gender and finding your own expression. Hanam, welcome to the Youth Rising podcast. Thank you for having me. It's so exciting to have you here. When we were discussing the topic of gender and gender stereotypes, your name was kind of the first one on a lot of our lips. So I'm just like thrilled that you've managed to join us. This is great. When people say things like that, like gender stereotypes and, you know, the whole non-conformity, I'm just like, like I never knew of these words before. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was just like, I'm literally just me doing me and then people started saying oh yeah but you're non-gender conforming and like it really made me question my whole being that's so interesting so you obviously were just setting out to be yourself and in doing that ended up doing something that society deemed quite subversive yeah labels changed me and labels really made me sort of delve deep within me and sort of try and figure out like who I am you know I'm born a woman I am a woman so when people are like yeah but you're challenging stereotypes I'm like with a beard but it's so natural like I don't do anything to it but for people it's like yo she's challenging gender stereotypes and I remember sitting down one day and thinking 
Wow, like maybe I am without even knowing <laughs> I'm doing so. Because appearance, like what you see first, like it's powerful, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. It's so interesting that you say that your beard is so natural. So it didn't seem like it was challenging anything to you. Had you considered before you had developed a social media presence, what gender meant or how you defined gender as someone that was then considered to be like quite subversive in your appearance? It was really weird because I've, you know, the Punjabi or Indian culture, it's very, you know, if you're a woman, look like a woman. If you're a man, look like a man sort of thing, you know. And I remember because I used to be very religious back in the day. I don't really speak about religion, but I used to be very religious. And I used to be quite proud because it used to be the guys that had like big beards, you know. I used to be like... Raw, I actually look like a very strong, powerful man, you know? Yeah, I love it. For some reason, like, I took pride in that. Like, I look very strong. And I remember another religious lady was basically like, you look like a woman, so you should look like a woman and act like a woman and sound like a woman. And I was just like... What does that even mean? (laughs) I was literally just about to say, like, what does that mean? Did you always know that you wanted to embrace the beard or at the beginning, did you sort of feel like any kind of shame or did you want to, what was that process like? Oh, there was mad shame around it. Again, like I grew up in like a culture where I'm supposed to like, like I look like I'm a woman. I look like a woman. I just have a beard. I went through years of bullying, years of trying to conform, years of removing I was way too young to get laser treatment done. At the age of 16, I was like, do you know what? I'm just going to embrace the way that I look because I've tried abiding by the so-called rules and regulations of beauty and, you know, what these people are saying. These people don't even, like, love themselves. Like, how do I expect them to love me, you know? They don't even understand who they are as people. Like, how do I expect them to understand me, you know, and my journey and why I look this way and my medical condition? So I just decided to... um again like just embrace who I am as a person and this world can change I'm not about to change the this world and its views and all the the norms that are out there like those can change like I am the norm I am the norm for me you know and that can be quite hard for other people to grasp because I look so different and they can be quite narrow-minded yeah absolutely and as you say like it's so natural and it's it's kind of wild because everyone has facial hair everyone has body hair and yet society puts these pressures on women in particular to shave laser wax how did you I guess like reconcile the like society's notion of, of beauty like you to be beautiful you have to look a particular way with feeling beautiful yourself and loving yourself See, now, this is very hard for me to say without swearing, so you've really put me in a bit of a... (laughs) I'm so sorry. (laughs) I don't think I can tell you how much I don't give an F, right, about people, their opinions, them coming to terms with me. I literally do not care. But how did you get to that point? Yeah, like, how did you get to that point? Because when you've been put in a, you know, a flipping corner all your life and beaten, whether it's mentally, physically, whatever, if I can have the power to keep on carrying on at my most vulnerable, I'm a force of nature when I'm at my most strongest. Does that make sense? Absolutely, absolutely. (laughs) 
I mean, I just say to people, like, imagine if you were to change the narrative of your so-called flaws, you know? I know, that's incredible. But then I also come from the thought of, I can live with my beard. Another woman or another person might not be able to live with their beard like another woman she might not be able to have enough confidence to deal with like the bullying and the social pressures and if she finds happiness through removing it then why can't she you know I literally live by my body my rules like I will do to my body what I wish to do and it always depends on again my quality of life and like happiness like how happy am I doing this certain act you know so like over time, as you've become more confident in yourself and more confident with the way you look, have other people started reacting differently to you? Like, do you still get the same kind of bullying or has has that changed? Oh, no, I, I still get the same. I really? mean, you know, before I was just in schools and maybe in public, you know, now I've got the whole of the internet literally on my phone. So, you know, I then get it on social media through death threats and just... Or because I have a beard, like... I mean, this seems like a really kind of redundant question because it's so big, but, like, what can we all do as a society to to challenge these ideas and to challenge these stereotypes? Because, I mean, it just feels like, it, like nobody wins. Like, nobody wins when the world is this place, you know? I always say, like, stand up, you know, think about your truth and how it adds value in a positive and good way to people and the lives of people in society. You know, stand up for your truth. And, and question, like, we as people don't question, mm. like, why is it that we need to be a certain way? You know, what is that getting me? Is it paying my bills? You know, why are companies promoting one type of person? But I also feel like we each have the power to, like, create these changes as well, you know? So... Yeah, absolutely. I remember when I got the front cover of Glamour, it's because I went into the offices, sat down with the editor-in-chief and said... I want the cover of Glamour magazine. No. So it's like... That's incredible. Like, God, talk about saying it with your chest. I got little boobs as well, but I said it with bass. I won't lie. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. So what did they do when you did that? Like, what was the response? Okay. Like, let's speak about it. That's amazing. And I think that's such an important thing to talk about because I think in, as women in particular, we don't always ask for what we're worth. And so, like, you knew you were worth the cover, so you asked for the cover. (laughs) I asked for the cover, because it's not just... It's not just about, oh, I want to be on the cover for the sake of being on the cover so that people can call me a cover girl. It's like, no, like, imagine seeing someone like me on a front cover and other young girls, young boys, young people, even, like, people older than me looking at that and going, wow, I see myself represented. A brown girl. Do you know how many people out there with ovaries, even trans men, you know, trans women that have facial hair, you know, or people that wear turban. There's such a lack of representation. So imagine seeing me and people being like, I've been shaving my facial hair for like 10 plus years and this has gone on to make a front cover of it. Like, that's mad. Where I didn't see anyone in the magazines that looked like me, I became the person in the magazine that looked like me, you know? Absolutely. It's so important to be the change you want to see, right? Like, that's so important. And you were the first ever woman with a beard to walk London Fashion Week. What was that like? So, initially, I thought it was a good idea. Right. Then when I got there, I was like, yeah, I do not want to do this. Really? Yeah, then I had to pull myself up by the bootstraps and be like, you're doing this. So, what happened was, 
there's a fashion jewelry designer who makes jewelry like headpieces for like people in music actors and actresses like she's big so i was like yay because i grew up watching america's next top model and tyra banks and fantasizing about taking pictures and this that and the others um so i was like wow like this is my chance i was well happy i got there and bearing in mind like there were other people with there in their designers about to hit the runway as well like after us so it wasn't just like it was just one show for one it was like different designers on the same catwalk one designer after another I'm like five foot six, five foot seven, but these other girls were tall <laughs> and thin and very white. <laughs> so I'm looking at them like that, right? <laughs> and I'm thinking, I do not belong here. Like these people probably think I'm like the cleaner or something. <laughs> like I do not feel like I belong here. I think that's when my anxiety kicked in because I do struggle with anxiety. Looking back at the footage, I'm like, I was so tense. Like, my shoulders were hunched forward and all these models that were looking at me and, you know, I was the only model from that whole fashion show that made headlines. You know, Punjabi, Tanzanian, Indian girl, like, I am pretty light-skinned. But on top of that, like, I'm not tall. I have stomach podge, right? Like, I don't look like the standard sort of model, you know? Yeah. Team so, soft belly. I'm 100% team fupa. Team fupa. <laughs> it was just incredible because I literally, I was the only model to make headlines and I was like, well, you can huff and puff at me, but I'm the one that people are talking about, you know? So again, like, if you push forward past your fears and your anxieties and your doubts, like, look what you can achieve, you know? And sometimes it doesn't matter what you look like. As long as you've got the confidence to push through and actually attain what you want to attain, like, it can happen. Absolutely. If you had to give advice to someone who's struggling to accept their body, struggling with the way they look, what would you say? I would say it's okay that you don't like your body and people don't say that, you know. But I've come to this point in my life now, yeah, where I'm content and I can die happy because someone that looks like me, I have done the most, right? And I can say that with pride because I know my worth. As someone that looks like me, I have done the most, but I know that there's still a lot more to do. So I'm carrying on. I have bad days. I still struggle with deep, psychological trauma that impacts me we are just human so anyone listening that thinks oh they're not at a certain level in their life where they're confident trust me it's not all chocolates and roses over here because we go through pain still and we go through things that trigger our traumas every single day but the thing that makes it all worthwhile is I have two things in my life that keep me going, which are my dogs. But the love and loyalty that they show is what keeps me going. And on top of that, I'm not hard on myself and I do things that I actually find enjoyment in. Thank you so much. This has just been like so wonderful. Like what a treat to talk to you. Thank you. How can we help? In this segment, we're looking at ways that we can further our knowledge on our episode topic and give back to ourselves and to the community. Here at Youth Rising, we champion the wonderful work being done at Stonewall with young people and the LGBTQ community. Find out more about the services they provide and ways you can get involved at stonewall.org.uk. 
Each week, we're getting our guests to recommend a book that has inspired them on our episode topic. This week's books are... So the book we'd recommend is Transmission by Alex Bertie, My Quest for Beard. And it's just a lovely memoir by a wonderful trans guy in the UK where he talks about his experience of being trans coming out and it's just super relatable, funny and yeah, just a lovely book. The book I would recommend everyone to read is Light is the New Black by Rebecca Campbell. It's a book that helps you find your purpose, helps you find the light in your life, helps you understand you as a soul, as a being that's going on this journey of Earth. And here at the Youth Rising team, we recommend Manifesto for Misfits by Glyn Fussell. This book is for people that feel like outsiders and was written to help them embrace their uniqueness, no matter their gender. Join us again next week as we discuss race. Remember to rate, review and follow Youth Rising wherever you get your podcasts. You can also check out our socials at NCS on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat and YouTube. I'm Eleanor Ray. Thank you to Halim, Paige and Ella for their help on this episode. And of course, to our guests, Jamie, Shabar and Hanam. If any of the issues raised in this episode have affected you, you can find free support and advice at stonewall.org.uk. This was a Something Else production for NCS, where young people turn no you can't into no, we can. Young voices, big issues. Join us as we explore the real power of youth rising. Youth rising. Youth rising. The Youth Rising Podcast by NCS.